In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeliness, and they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Morning. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. Who's winning? <laughs> yeah, who do you want to win? <laughs> Is Jesus up over there? Is it... That's awesome. Thank you for saying that. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, good morning. Welcome those watching online. Thank you, everybody that's in the room. Trust issues. You know anybody with trust issues? That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about trust issues. How do you build trust with somebody? How do you build trust with God? Should we do a bunch of trust falls with Jesus? Should we spend the next six, seven weeks doing trust falls with Jesus? How are we going to build trust? So actually, when you think about it, the things that you do to build trust, there's not many. I mean, there's just a few. It's a short list. It's quite a simple list, actually. There's a few very important things that need to be focused on that that need to be done to build trust. I've been thinking about this a long time, not just the series. I've been thinking about this whole idea of how do you build trust. And I've been listening, reading, observing, talk to senior leaders in the military or corporate leaders, talk to people in homes, write families. How is it built in all these different environments? And I want to give you just four quick things as we begin this day. You're going to see on the back of your bulletin, there's a number of scriptures there and there's three P's to fill in. I'm going to give you the three P's real quick and then we're not going to ever talk about them again in this sermon, okay? Um, (laughs) And then I'm not going to talk about any of those scriptures except Genesis chapter one as well. So I'm just warning you. So here's the three P's. It's all about the name of God. Personal, powerful, and purposeful. Personal, powerful, and purposeful has all to do with the name of God. I really want to laser in. The reason I'm not going to get into the other show, I really want to laser into Genesis chapter 1 and what it's saying. I spent this past week at Walt Disney World. I was invited uh, by an organization I'm a part of. They said, hey, you want to go to the Disney Institute for Leadership Excellence, and we will pay almost the entire bill if you go. And I said, okay, I'll do it. So I went down there, and early to late, early in the morning to late at night, we were in a, in a room with a bunch of executives, and we were talking about what Disney does, why they do it, what are their values, what are their vision, how come they're so great. Uh, the uh, vision of the uh, CEO of Disney is to be the most admired company in the world, and they're number six on the list right now. They're trying to get up to number one, but they, they, what they do is uh, very, very good. And we spent uh, actually a half of a day talking about trust. So Disney will get 
it'll bleed in here a little bit. Some of you who are on Grace's Facebook site, you saw I sent a picture to my wife because when I graduated, they gave me the ears and the diploma, you know, had the tassel on it. Mickey came in, I got my picture taken, and somehow that found its way to Grace's Facebook site. But uh, anyway, I did graduate. I wasn't down there just riding on Dumbo. I was actually, you can trust me. Okay. There are four things, four things, actually. There's more, but this is not an exhaustive. But here's some really important stuff. Character. Character. Honesty, integrity, what you say is what you do. There's not a disconnect. It's not, I say one thing, I do another. It's not a public and a private. What I say is what I do. Boom. Plain and simple. My actions match my words. There's character. It all starts with it. Character. Character is king. Character is king. So uh, there was Walt Disney and there was his brother Roy. They ran the company together. Walt's the creative guy. Roy's the business guy. He's the numbers guy, right? Three times, particularly in their early years, Roy sold Walt's car. Three different times. You know why he did it? They would go to leave at the end of the day, and Walt said, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. And Roy said, well, let me, let me, let me, let me give you a ride home. I don't need you to give me a ride. I have a car. He says, no, you don't. I sold it. Why did you sell it? Had to make payroll. Why'd you sell it? Had to pay the bills. We made a commitment. We said that we would do this for our employees, or we would pay our bill or whatever, so we're going to do it. We did it. So I sold your car. Why don't you sell your car? Well, that's another story. But I sold your car. I did it. He sold Walt's car because Walt's car was always the more expensive car. So he would sell his car. That's character. Honor the commitment. What you say is what you do. If you've been around somebody, they say one thing, do another. Do you trust them? No. When you're around somebody and they're saying one thing to you and then you hear them in another conversation, another thing, right? You're like, whoa, okay. It has to match. Number two, consistency. Are you consistent? They talked a lot about this at Disney World. Consistency. Consist- we want to provide a consistent environment and an experience for our guests. I want you to think about it. In your homes, in your place of work, with your friends, if they're a yo-yo, if one day they're laughing with you and the other day they're screaming at you, if they're screaming at somebody else and like, okay, I really value you, but they're screaming at somebody, you know what's going to happen uh, the next day or the week after, right? They might be screaming at who? They might be screaming at you. So there's total inconsistency. You don't know. They value you one day. Don't value you the next. That undermines trust. Consistency is very, very important. Number three, selfless service. It's a big deal at Disney. Actually, our military puts a, puts a big emphasis on this selfless service. I was talking to somebody high up in command in the Air Force this past week. Text message. What do you do to build trust in the military? Selfless service. You meet another airman anywhere in the world, you know that they follow the primary things that the Air Force follows. So you know immediately you have trust, right? And one of those major things is selfless service. Are you willing, great leaders, trusted leaders, or put their egos aside, put their self-interest aside for the team? Last one, number four, responsibility. Never throw your teammates under the bus. You always take the heat. Have you ever seen a leader who, when there is a problem, just like, oh, yep, and they just, you know, the big bosses come in. It's like, yeah, get rid of that, right? Terrible. It's their fault. You don't trust that person, do you? So a trusted leader takes personal responsibility for their team. They'll step up. They'll take the heat themselves. When you find a leader like that, you don't want to leave them. They're special. There's somebody that you can trust. They put their own interest on the line, put it all aside. They put it all aside, put their ego aside. You can trust somebody like that. So uh, those are four uh, simple things about 
how we build trust. They're really important things. It's not an exhaustive list, but they're really, really important. All right, but why? Why do we want to build trust? Why would we do this anyway? We said this last week. Trust is a must. Like, trust is, is the glue. It's the magnet of relationships. Like, relationships thrive. Great things happen from trust. Maybe you'll hear this tonight when the quarterback of the Eagles or the quarterback of the Patriots, right, he throws. He, says, he keeps throwing to that receiver because he what? What does he do with that receiver? Because he trusts that receiver. I read a great book for years. I highly recommend this book, particularly if you love sports and particularly if you love basketball. Phil Jackson's book, The Eleven Rings. And when the Bulls were just trying to get it together, right, he went to Jordan. He said, you have got to trust your teammates and you have got to trust the system. And until you do that, we will not win. And when he did, great things happened. So I'm just saying, everybody. Great stuff happens when trust is there. Bad things happen when trust is not there. Disney said this, when you have trust, there's a free flow of communication. Free flow of communication. And I got to thinking about that a little bit because I feel this way and many people I talk to feel this way. You know what? I pray and I see the value of prayer, but there's one thing about prayer. I never pray enough. I feel like I should pray more. Almost everybody I talk to says, I should pray more. I should pray more. And I got to thinking about what Disney said. Where there's trust, there's a free flow of communication. And it hit me. You know, if I bolstered my trust in God, like if I trusted God more, would it just automatically open up the lines of communication with God? Would it have have an effect on my prayer life if I trusted God more. Now, one last thing. I'll give you a quote from Drake. Drake. You all know Drake. Yeah, it's a good quote. It's a good quote. Ready for this? A relationship without trust is like a cell phone without service. There's more. Ready? And what do you do with a phone that doesn't have service? Play games. Mmm. Okay, the title of this message is First Impressions. First Impressions. How would you introduce yourself to the world? I give you a couple paragraphs. How would you introduce yourself to the world? You got a couple paragraphs to do it. You introduce yourself to the entire world. First Impressions. You don't get a second chance at First Impressions. You got to make a really good first impression. Genesis chapter 1 is God saying hello to the entire world. How will we do it? What do we find in Genesis chapter 1, right? That was just read a few moments ago. What do we find in here? Very, it's God's hello to the world. It's super, super, in the, super important. It begins with these words, in the beginning God. Right, in the beginning God. This actually, everybody, is one of the most well-known pieces of literature on our planet today. Whether people believe in it or not, doesn't matter. It is one of the most well-known pieces of literature on our planet today. In the beginning, God created the heavens in the earth. God, what's the name that is used there? Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M. It means the strong one. God, the strong one. When scribes would copy that, when Genesis chapter 1 or anywhere else there in the Bible, when they would copy that, and they would come to the name of God, which appears 35 times in Genesis chapter 1. When they would come to the name of God, they would get a brand new quill. They would write God's name, not all of it. They'd abbreviate it because they would not, out of reverence for the name of God, they wouldn't write the entire name out. So they'd abbreviate the name. They'd take the quill, break it, so that no other word, no other name would ever flow from that quill ever again. They did that 35 times every time, Genesis chapter 1, because they so revered the name of God. Why did they revere it? Because the name of God represents the character of God. It's who 
God is. Now, what is Genesis chapter 1 telling us? Well, I tell you, every conversation, I'm thinking about this, you think for a second. Every conversation I've ever had about Genesis chapter 1 is always about how. How did this happen? This is an amazing creation. Now tell me how it happened. There's only one fundamental problem with that. Is Genesis chapter 1 is not telling us how creation happened. It's telling us why. Telling us why. And if we begin with the how, we are going to miss the mark. Are there some hows in there? Sure. In the beginning, which means there was nothing and then the universe had a beginning, which we now know is totally true, except for it was written 3,700 years ago. And up until 100 years ago, guys like Einstein, pretty smart guy, thought there was no beginning to it. So there is a how in there, but there's not a lot of how, okay? It's like the difference between reading a manual about how to drive a car and fly a plane. Okay, engines. All right, we both have an engine. But there's going to be a big crash somewhere if you're flying a plane and you're reading a manual about driving a car, right? So we have crashed. There's been a crash because the constant conversation is about how, and Genesis 1 is telling us why. And the why to it is extraordinarily compelling. So here's the thing. Uh, if you look at categories, people like, hey, religious affiliation, do you know what is exploding off the charts right now? Nuns. Not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E. None. I have no religious feel. I have none. I'm none. And you know who's exploding that category? Shout out. Please. Millennials are. Millennials. Do they believe in God? Yes. Yes. By the numbers, by the numbers, millennials, for the most part, really believe in God and pray every day, even more than the older generations do. Believe in God and pray. But what is it? What is it about it that like, I don't, I don't want to get into the drama. I don't want to get into the study of the Bible. I'm not, I don't I want to go to church. You know why? Because the story being told isn't compelling. And particularly in Genesis chapter 1, it's not compelling to talk about the how. I'm not saying the conversation shouldn't happen. What is really compelling is to talk about the why. The why is extraordinarily compelling and it's riveting. And we have to get back to talking about what God is telling us about himself, Elohim, the strong one, why he created and why we have Genesis chapter 1. We drift, right? People like me, guys like me, pastors, church leaders, denominational leaders, we drift and we just stop talking about the why, which is what God wrote. Look, Disney, we talked, talked a lot about it this past week. They said, man, they have drifted away from their true core, their true north, so many times. They've messed so many things up. Walt Disney dies like in the mid-60s, and they go to build Disney World in the early 70s, right? And they were just floundering because they forgot about who they were. They forgot about the values. They forgot about the vision, about why they existed, right? They forgot about the why, and they were just doing all this stuff. And they did this huge like Ferris wheel thing. They showed us a picture of it, and it had the sun on it, the sun in the middle of the, right? They had the big sun. You'd walk in. There it is in the park, the sun. And then people started saying, guess they started getting feedback. Says, hey, what's your experience like? It's like, no, this isn't good. Well, why isn't this good? Where's the mouse? All right, the sun is fine, but where's the, there is no magic in the magic kingdom without that mouse. It's all about the mouse. What is Genesis 1 all about? It's all about the Why? And when we focus on the how, the story is not compelling and people stop coming to the magic kingdom because all the magic is gone. So let's talk about, let's talk about the why. So here was what we see. 
Elohim, the strong one, creates. In Scripture, only God creates. Man, humanity, never creates. Mold, shape, build, yes, but never, never create. Creates out of nothing. What does that mean? Why is that important? God creates out of nothing, which means what? means nothing is impossible for God, right? When you can't see it, that doesn't really mean anything to God. Sometimes I can't see it. I don't see how this is going to work. doesn't mean anything to God. There's nothing to see. God can create something out of nothing. Everything, this is super important, in Genesis chapter 1 is pointing to the seventh day. Think about that. I never did. Everything. In Genesis chapter 1, is pointing to the seventh day. I always thought, seventh day? Nothing's going on on the seventh day. Seventh day is a break day. Seventh day, God's calling into the office saying, I've been working hard for six days. I'm taking the day off, man. Nothing's happening on the seventh day. Why do I want to think about this? It's rest day. It's Sabbath day. There's nothing about the seventh day that seems compelling to me unless I ask why. So the number seven in Scripture is a sacred number, spiritual number. So temples. So what is a temple? A temple was something that was created. It was built for heaven to meet earth where God's presence would dwell. And there in that temple, there was perfect harmony with God. Like humanity, creation inside that temple was in perfect harmony. Everything was right inside that temple because heaven meets earth. Temples were dedicated in how many days, you think? If you said seven, you guessed right. Seven days. Creation story, Genesis 1, is all about God is building a tabernacle, a shrine, a temple for his presence to dwell. That's what the story is being told. If you read about the tabernacle in the book of Exodus, you'll find great similarities between the tabernacle and the Garden of Eden. All these similarities. It's all about the number seven. Tremendous spiritual significance where heaven meets earth. It is a song. People will say, you know what? Creation, it feels like I can hear creation singing sometimes. It is. Genesis chapter one is a song. It's a song. In Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1, take a guess. How many words in the original Hebrew, all right? How many words do you think are in Genesis 1, 1? If you said seven, you're right. How many words are in Genesis chapter 1, verse number 2? 14. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, 35 words. How many times does the name God appear in Genesis chapter 1? 35 times. If you're not good at math, these are all multiples of seven. How many times does the word earth appear in Genesis chapter 1? 21 times. How many times does heaven's firmament appear in Genesis 1? 21 times. And it was so. And it was so. Seven times, right? God saw it was good seven times. Seven, 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 seven. Why all the sevens? Genesis chapter one was not a casually written creation story. It was intentional. It was careful. It was focused with a purpose and a reason. It's all about day seven. It's all about the creation of a tabernacle so that God would dwell in harmony with you and with me and with all of creation. And that's why you're reading the scripture. There'll come a day when the lion will lay down with the lamb. Because the Bible says that all creation is groaning. We are broken. We're groaning. We're bro- Humanity is broken. Our relationships are broken. There's disharmony with God and each other. That's why Stephen Hawking says, let's hurry up and get to the moon and to outer space and somewhere because we won't kill each other. 
There's disharmony with animals, disharmony with people. And what creation is about is the return of the harmony that God originally created is what we actually deep in our hearts long. And that is the story of Genesis chapter 1 that it is telling, the Ten Commandments. You ever read through the Ten Commandments? Right? Exodus chapter 20, you ever read through it? You ever notice which one, which one gets the most words attributed? Which one is talked about the most of those important Ten Commandments? The Sabbath day, the seventh day, the rest day. The day when all the burdens are lifted. The day when harmony happens. The day when we enter in to the presence of God in his tabernacle. It's a very carefully intentionally crafted peace from God about why he created you and me. We are told that God walked in the garden. Now, in the Hebrew, the word walk, when you walk with somebody, it means that you're friends with them. You have a deep and serious friendship. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm calling you friends. The plan of original creation, God, was to be in harmony with us in this tabernacle of the world where we'd have harmony with him, each other, and all of creation. This is the why of Genesis chapter 1. And what is the greatest gift that you give to God? The gift of your presence. So what happens is when we begin to talk about, oh, 624 literal hour days. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, or the world's 6,000 years old. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying we shouldn't have that discussion. I'm all about it. I'm all about it. It's not a very compelling story, and it's not the intention of Genesis chapter 1. The intention of Genesis chapter 1 is that you were created in the image of God, and God had created this tabernacle for us to be with him and for us to be in harmony with each other, with God, and with all of creation. That is the focus. Now, what would happen if everybody read Genesis chapter 1, trusted in Genesis chapter 1, believed in Genesis chapter 1, and what it was saying, and the harmony of all people created in the image of God? Would it have a powerful effect on the way that we deal with each other in our homes? Would it change the way you communicated in your neighborhoods and in your homes? If like, oh my gosh, this person has been created in the image of God, loved, highly valued, and respect. I have, so I have a good identity. I'm looking at them that way. They have the identity of God. Oh my gosh, would it change the way that you dealt with others? Would it change the way that you saw the world? Would it change the way companies and nations functioned? if we actually believe the why of Genesis chapter 1. This is why, and I won't go down this road because we spent last year doing it, it is why Dr. King and the civil rights movement was based on the image of God. There are no gradations in the image of God. Dr. King is famous for saying that. It's because that's what causes the change and that's what brings the harmony. This what it's all about. Now, who undermined your trust? Who undermined your trust in Genesis chapter 1? Who did it for you? Was it a college professor? Was it a pastor like me? Was it a neighbor? You don't believe in that myth, do you? You don't believe in that story. You don't believe in that old tale. For me, it was a seminary professor, a seminary professor. You might find that odd, but I went to an odd seminary. (laughs) And my seminary professor said, there is nothing special about Genesis chapter 1. It is a story amongst many stories. And there's nothing particularly special about it. There are many other creation myths, and they all have striking similarities. And immediately, I had a trust issue. Like, oh, wow, this guy's a professor. He's got a PhD. He studied this all his life. And he's telling me that I really can't trust that there's something special 
about Genesis chapter 1 and God's introduction to the planet. You know, trust is fragile. It's one of the things that Disney Institute brought up this past week. Trust is fragile. Isn't it fragile? I mean, you could trust somebody for a long, all of a sudden something happens, something to say, you're like, whoa, right? Do you remember when uh, it was said that Taco Bell was serving up pink slime? Does anybody remember that, the pink slime thing that went around, some of you? I've never eaten Taco Bell again. That was it for me. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Trust was broken with me and the Taco Bell. I used to love the Mexi Melts. I ate them all the time, but that was it. Never again. Never the Mexi Melt again. The pink slime. I just couldn't do it. I don't know if it's true or not, but it didn't matter if it's true. <laughs> I wouldn't take the time to investigate. And here's the reality. Some of us have never taken, your neighbors, your friends, your family, whatever, maybe you haven't taken the time to investigate the why behind Genesis chapter 1, and trust isn't really, and the flow of communication isn't really, and... I mean, you're not being the, you know, more than a conqueror for Jesus. Maybe the championship run can't happen because there's no trust there. So for me, I finally decided after a while, I said, well, I'm going I'm to read some of these creation myths. I'm going to read some of these popular ones he's talking about. I started reading them. And you know what I noticed? I'm going to share it with you. First of all, I noticed this. In every creation myth that I read about, every one that I've read about, and I can't say I've read them all, but I've read a number of them, God, the gods, or God, whatever's being mentioned, that created out of something. Always out of something. There was always something existing, and God created all of this, right? Genesis 1, God creates out of nothing. Nothing is impossible for God. That's the first thing I noticed. Second thing I noticed, there was always a war. In the creation, there was always a war. They're fighting. They were petty. They were jealous of each other. Not in Genesis chapter 1. There's peace and harmony. Father, Son, and the Spirit. There's peace and harmony. There's no fight. There's no war. There's love. The Trinity is a divine community. That's why relationships are so important. There was harmony. There wasn't a war at all. Here's the next thing I noticed. Creation, you and me, in the creation miss, we're vomit. Like the, the gods vomited us up. How do you feel about that? Vomit or, or they killed another god and out of the blood of that god or out of the body parts of that other god, you and I are here. Praise Jesus. Vomited us up. I mean, Really? That seems to be very different from Genesis chapter 1. In the creation myths, many times humanity was regretted. And many times humanity was looked at as slaves to provide and slave for the gods. Where in Genesis 1, God provides us this incredible creation. It says, enjoy it. Love it. And enjoy it. Incredibly different. In Genesis 1, humanity, male and female are the summit of creation. It's not the case in the creation myth. I just want to ask you, which one of those stories, the creation myth or Genesis chapter 1, resonates with you the most? There might be some slight similarities, but there's an enormous difference in the very basis of the story. The whys are completely different. If I had spent my life believing what that professor said without taking the time to read it, I would have always had this trust issue with God. God's first impression to me in Genesis, his introduction to me would have been marred. You ever wish you could redo an, an introduction? You ever met somebody like you were really amped up? Maybe you're going on a date. I don't know. You're like, oh, I wish I could do that again. My understanding and my trust in God would have been flawed right from the beginning if I hadn't taken the time to say why, if I hadn't taken the time to read these other creation myths and say, what, they're not even close. 
unique, special? Do you think it's compelling that all people are creating the image of God? Do you think it's compelling that God, what creation is really all about is he's building the tabernacle so he could be in harmony with you forever and always, and your greatest gift to him is the gift of your presence? That's fairly compelling. And it's a lot better than arguing about six 24-hour literal days, which is not the focus of Genesis chapter 1. Not saying that discussion shouldn't happen, because I actually love to have that discussion. All right, so that's the miss. i just say one other thing. I mean, it's just going to be really brief, okay? Because I've, I've actually said this before, but just something to think about. If there isn't a God, everybody, if there isn't a God, so, so the deal is, is that some of us are just tired of the drama. People around you are tired of the drama. It's like, ah, oh, I just don't... <laughs> I just don't want to, I don't want to have the discussion, whatever. I don't, I don't even believe there's a God because I'm tired of dealing with it. Okay, here's the issue. If there isn't a God, the whole reason you and I are here, pure power. There's nothing but power. Power without a purpose, right? The strong eat the weak. Natural selection. There's nothing but power. You are here because you trampled on the weak and you survived. That's why you are here. There, there, These aren't my words. This is what anybody would say who's looked at it. And your origins are completely meaningless. And your future is completely meaningless, which means what about the in-between? Meaningless? Meaningless. This has to be meaningless in between. There's really no purpose to live. Genesis 1 gives us a purpose for creation. There's power and there's purpose. Without God, there is nothing. There is absolutely nothing but power, strong eating the weak, and natural selection. I read a book by Gerald Schroeder. He was a former MIT professor. He wrote a book called God According to God. It was fascinating. In it, he included a story from the Talmud. It's a tradition in the Talmud. Uh, It's a thought, something that's presented in the Talmud, the Jewish Talmud. And here's what it says is that when a baby is in a mother's womb, an angel is dispatched to every single baby. And that angel goes and shares with that baby in the mother's womb the deep things of God, God's love, the reason for creation. All these, God's love, the image of God in every person, shares with that baby, you are being, you are born in the image of God. This is who you are. This is your identity and God loves you. And so the angel would share all this and then the angel would kiss that baby right underneath the baby's nose. And here's what the tradition says. That little indentation you have underneath your nose, above your mouth, that was the kiss that every single person has to the angel. Work with me, okay? It's just, okay, it's a tradition. Work with me. Okay? It's, it's in the Talmud. Then that baby would forget. But all that knowledge would go into the subconscious. And when we hear a truth about God, Something strikes a chord deep in our being. Something resonates deep. And we say, yes, something about that. Something about that truth that we're all created in the image of God, that God loves us all, that we were created to be in harmony with God, in harmony of all creation, that this is all a gift. Something says inside of me, yes. Something says to me, somewhere there's a noble king who will lay aside everything For our best interest, somewhere there is a leader, a hero amongst heroes, a prince who will always come for me and will always take the heat for me, no matter how wrong I am and will rescue me. Something about that story 
resonates with me. And that story is a story that we can never get away from. It keeps being told over and over and over again. Why? Because something inside of us says, yes, that's true. I want to ask you which story resonates with you the most. In conclusion, I want to offer three things about Genesis chapter 1 that I just kind of think are important when you talk about the why. Number one is this. Your life has a purpose. Your life has a very, very grand purpose, and that is to be with God forever. You have been created in the image of God, and everybody around you has been created in the image of God. And as you begin to look at all people, now, no matter how much they irritate you, no matter how different they are from you, and how much frustration they bring your way, if you begin to look at the entire world, look at yourself in the mirror, and know that you've been created in the image of God, look at other people realizing they've been created in the image of God, that will have a deep and profound impact on your life. It is your purpose. You have a purpose, a grand purpose, to be with God and to be in harmony with God and creation and other people. That's one. Two, God created out of nothing, which means that nothing is impossible for God. Many times I say when I'm phrasing a problem, I say, you know what, I just can't see it. I can't see how this is going to work out. And you know what this reminds me of? God is saying, you know what, you're right, there's nothing to see. Because God can create something out of nothing. Where there is no way, God makes a way. As you read through the Bible, you'll read stories about Abraham and Sarah and Ruth and Joseph and Lazarus. Right? All these great names of people who faced impossible situations where God made a way, where there seemed to be no way. Where God says, you know what, with God nothing is impossible, which he said to the Virgin Mary. There's, with God, there's nothing will be impossible. I will make a way where there seems to be no way. Here in this room today, there's many of us who need to go to that prayer wall today. And we say, you know what, prayer team person, I need you to pray with me because I'm facing something that's impossible. I need God to make a way where there is no way. I can't see how it's going to turn out. So God's got to create something out of nothing. If we trust God, if we trust the leader, if we trust the God of Genesis chapter 1, we will pray. God, make a way where there is no way. For those of you watching online, you have a little button. You have a little button right there. Just push prayer and have one of our prayer team leaders pray with you that God will make a way where there is no way. God will do it. This is, this is what the strong one does. He does it over and over in the scriptures. He's done it over and over again in my life. And I'm sure he's done it for many of us in this room many times and those of you watching online. That's the second thing. Here's the third and final thing that I want to say. This is really important. This is the inescapable, unending story that keeps coming back. All great leaders, you know this to be true. All great leaders take personal responsibility for their teams. Any leader who's to be trusted, any leader who is considered great is a leader who never throws somebody else under the bus on their team. They take personal heat for it. They step up for, the, their, for their team. They protect their team. They never abandon their team. They never leave us alone, even though I might have done something that has caused a major problem, a great leader, one that I would die for, one that I would never leave, is somebody who would always protect me, always be with me, always take responsibility over me. That's what we look for. That's what makes great leaders great. They never abandon their teens. Now, Jesus. There is striking similarities between the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and the Gospel of John where we're introduced to Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John. Both of them begin the exact same way. In the beginning, Genesis. How does John begin? In the beginning. 
The Gospel of John is the recreation story of all of our lives. It's a recreation. You see in Genesis 1, God speaks. He doesn't create with his hands. He speaks, and his word causes all this stuff to happen, like boom. It all happens with his word. And what do you read in John chapter 1? The word, Jesus Christ, was with God and was God, and all things were created through who? Through the word. And who is the word? The word is Jesus Christ. He creates but things change as you read through the Gospels about the story of Jesus Christ. Genesis, every time God speaks, something happens. Jesus is on the cross, and he speaks. He cries out. He cries out to God, and God does not answer. God abandons him. We see over here, God is filling the earth in Genesis. And we see over here that Jesus Christ is emptying himself. What's going on there? On the cross, Jesus Christ is unmaking himself. He's decreating himself so all of us can be recreated in him. The Spirit is hovering in Genesis chapter 1. That word is always used in Hebrew for a mother bird who is over top of her eggs to hatch them, to create them, to be with them as they are being born. And we're told that Jesus is on the cross and he looks at his mother and he looks at his disciple John and he says, this is now your mother. He's being undone. I want you to think about all the disappointments you have with life. All the hurt, all the pain, all the bitterness that you ever have. What Jesus Christ is doing is a recreation story of an undoing of all your hurts pains and disappointments that you have ever had so that you can be recreated in Jesus Christ. He is the leader of leaders, the one you can always trust, who will never abandon you, who will come for you, and the selfless servant who will lay aside all of his own interest in order to put you first and to take responsibility and to take your place for anything that you've ever done wrong, to sacrifice himself so that you could be remade in him and experience the joy and the harmony of the presence of God forever and ever. That is the story of the Bible. That's a leader that resonates with me. That's a leader that I can trust now and forevermore. In Genesis, you see the sweetness of creation on the day of rest. And with Jesus Christ, what does he do at the end? They give him bitter vinegar to drink. And he's taking all of our bitterness upon himself so that we could experience a new birth in him. Oh, I'd like to end with this. Uh, Snow White. You know, Walt Disney had a vision for doing a full-length animated movie, and people said, you're crazy. That'll never work. They'll watch a seven-minute animated, animated movie. They'll never watch a full-length one, not one that's 83 minutes long. But he says, no, we're going to do it. He got all of his creative guys together to talk about it, and they were stuck. They just couldn't get the vision of what was the story of Snow White that he was trying to tell. So he came in one night, he gave them all 50 cents, and he said, go out and have a great dinner. 50 cents. The guy who was on the video telling us this story at the Leadership Institute said, you know, you get a great dinner for 35 cents. So I had 15 cents in my pocket. I was feeling really good after the night was over. We all came back after dinner, 
and the room was totally dark. And there was one spotlight, and Walt Disney stood there. And for hour after hour after hour, he told us the compelling story of Snow White. Snow White was released in 1937 on the heels of the Great Depression. And when movie tickets cost 17 cents, that movie and its first release grossed more than $8 million. Why? Because something about that story deeply, deeply, deeply resonated with human beings. What was it? Did you ever notice that after the prince kisses Snow White, what her first words were? You found me. You found me. And his response was, I always will. Jesus Christ is here today. His desire is to find all of us. His desire is that we would see what the great story of Scripture is really, really all about. What Genesis 1 is telling us is that through Jesus Christ and this leader, leader of leaders who can be trusted to put aside his own self-interest and his own ego, to take responsibility for anything and everything we have ever done wrong, thought wrong, been wrong, all of our disappointment, all of our bitterness, all of our pain. And if we will say, you are my leader, forgive me of everything, I put my trust in you that he will recreate us and make us new in him. Now that, that is a compelling story and it's something that some of us in this room need to do today. You've hesitated. You've, you've, you've been unclear. You were like me. You were unclear. What is this story? Be a good person. What is this story? I'm trying to be a good person. I can't be. What is this story? There's the story. And maybe today for the first time ever, you're watching online, you're in this room, you're like, okay, oh, whoa. I can trust Jesus Christ and I want to trust him with my life today. And I want to invite him to recreate me. In a moment, we're going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. I want to encourage you, watching online or here in this room, to, to trust Jesus Christ with your very life because he is the leader of leaders that can be trusted, who can recreate you from the inside out. I'm going to release those who are watching online. Uh, Pastor Neil is going to pray with you, and uh, thanks for being with us today. Okay, for those of us here, uh, it's on the back of your bulletin. It'll be on the screen behind me. I'd like all of us to stand together and pray the Lord's Prayer, right? Hallowed be thy name, that name that is to be reverenced because of the character of God to be so fully trusted that we could throw open our arms and say, here I come, Jesus, all of me, every piece of me because I can fully trust, fully trust in you because of who you are. Can we all just pray that together? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today.